Thanks for joining us on the King Law Podcast, where we give you a lawyer's perspective on anything legal or not. From criminal law, personal injury, and trending legal topics, we're your back pocket legal guide. You have questions for the uh, I have <laughs> for yeah. the guy. So, all right, I know all about Joe, so I don't really need any notes. <laughs> okay. But the thing that's going to be interesting for people that we've never had mm-hmm. is a law clerk, a Supreme okay. Court law clerk, and an administrative law clerk, uh, like a little bit of a view. A different view. There's not a whole ton of law clerks hitting up the podcasting. That's well. That's a shame because us yeah. law clerks yeah. are uh, very exciting, An unrepresented people. class. <laughs> I'm too loud though. What, what number am I? Brew one. I'll just lean this way. It's been a long learning process for us. We get a little better every time. Every time you do it. What are, are we've got? Joe's got to be 35, 36 times. Yeah. We've done this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. So if we don't have anybody, we just do it ourselves. Yes. All Each right. time gets better and better. Yeah. So. Yeah. One percent each time. So, all right, today, really excited. Joe Waldorf, longtime friend of mine, uh, former colleague, coworker, and Supreme Court judge candidate. I think that's official now, right? That's official. Okay. So, uh, I always do a story. I, I know almost everyone, kind of how we met, but I'm going to start. Uh, Joe and I were coworkers a long time ago, and I was mutual friend. Matt Rich was our boss, and I was way behind on my work. I got in trouble. And the short version of the story is uh, Joe and Matt showed up at about 11 p.m. and we worked until six in the morning because he was a friend and a colleague and I needed some help and he helped me and obviously I'll never forget that. Uh, The same story I told for Matt. There was three of us there that night and uh, that's all that I need. That's what I tell everybody about Joe Walder. If this nobody was ever going to know. You never told anybody. Matt never told anybody. I never told anybody for years. Yeah. And um, that was, that's Joe Waldorf in a nutshell there to help out a friend who needed some help. And But that's what you do, Bob, right? That, that's what you do for, for friends. You're there for them at any hour, uh, whatever they might need. And uh, I'm proud to call you a friend. And uh, believe me, it was just, Matt had done the same thing for me. Um, you know, that, that's what colleagues do. They help people through and improve and here you are. You're uh, you're doing a wonderful uh, you know job in, in your practice. And you know again, um, you know the skills we learned during those years were just critical in, in our success today. I think so. So today you are the head law clerk for Judge Bill Taylor, the supervising judge here in in our judicial district. Uh, you're also a really experienced trial lawyer yourself before you had that job, and now you're uh, a candidate for Supreme Court, the highest court in New York State. Uh, but let's uh, let's so, take it back to the beginning. Yeah, I'm gonna, yeah, yeah. So that's the short version. <laughs> that's that's where we're going to get to all this that kind of stuff. Are. Yeah. Uh, but I think my favorite part about the podcast and what we're doing is we all in the legal field know each other, and everybody's path is so different. Um, and I know a little bit about your path, but so so tell us, you know. What did Joe Walter give us start? Uh, yeah, age, like where? Young guy. Yeah, I mean, I grew up in Binghamton, New York. I was born and raised uh, there. Um, you know, just uh, all the great things, uh, you know, a young childhood uh, in a more rural area presented itself. I had a chance to you know, play all the sports uh, growing up through high school and um, went on uh, from uh, high school to um, go to undergraduate school in Boston, uh, where I went to Northeastern University, uh, studied criminal justice, uh, spent five great years there, um, had some very interesting work experiences during my time there. Northeastern had a uh, what they called a, a co-op program. So for six months out of the academic year, you would go into a, a field of your, your choosing. So I had a chance to see um, a lot of different things. I was a, a loss prevention officer at Abercrombie and Fitch uh, in uh, what downtown. Were stealing. <laughs> oh God! So I, I, I saw you know I saw walk, all walks of life. Um, I, I, I saw. You know, young college kids. I saw uh, drug addicts. Uh, you know, just come in and you know grab a table full of shirts and walk out. So I've seen every walk of life. Um, you know, steal something from Abercrombie. But those polos are oh, well, valuable. Yeah, very very <laughs> expensive. So uh, you know, but uh, it, that was a unique experience. Um, it was just simple observation. We didn't have cameras, so I wasn't hiding in a room just observing people. I was actually out. 
uh, in the field, uh, you know, walk, uh, walking around, observing people. Um, you know, I wasn't in a uniform or anything. I was, it was Abercrombie clothes. So it was a, a very unique job, but um, certainly um, observation and perception and, um, you know, really just paying attention to detail is something I learned from that, that job. So it was a unique experience. I guess I never knew that, uh, you might not have known that about me, but no, and I didn't know criminal justice either. So you yeah. were you? How'd you decide to go to criminal justice school? Gosh, you know that was something. Um, that's a really good question. Um, so my mom uh, was born in Northern Ireland, um, and I'd uh, traveled with her um, when I was a kid, young adult, to to Northern Ireland many times, um, and. Um, anyone that knows the history of Northern Ireland, it's a very, um, there was a period of time called the Troubles, um, where there was a lot of political violence, uh, bombings, crime. And so when I would go over to Ireland, um, I kind of had a front row seat to, um, you know, I would be going into a, a department store and you'd have to get, you know, go through a, a, a magnetometer just to go shopping, or you would see, um, you know, armed, uh, tanks with uh, soldiers, um, you know, patrolling the streets of Belfast. So I had a front row seat to um, terrorism, um, you know, as far as um, just the impacts that has on a civilian day to day life. And so that really sparked my initial interest in crime, law and order, things like that. So that's kind of where the the origin story of my criminal justice interests started. And then after Boston, you decide you want to keep going to school. Yeah, so pretty early on when I was in Boston, I um, uh, decided that the legal path was something I was interested in. Uh, and one of the tracks that their criminal justice program puts you on, uh, if you're interested, is a legal path. And so um, I concentrated in that, took a lot of law classes. Um, you know, we, we took a whole semester dedicated to the Sixth Amendment right to counsel. So we read every single Supreme Court case that has ever addressed uh, the right to counsel in the Sixth Amendment. So um, yeah, the, the track put me uh, on the legal path and from there um, decided it was for me and went off to uh, law school at the University of Colorado in Boulder, uh, Colorado. Um, and so that was uh, a, a change of scenery to say the least. Was there a moment while you were in school that you were like, this is why I wanna be an attorney? Let me think about that. Um, so actually going back even further, um, there would be that moment, um, but it would actually go back to high school. Okay. Um, so in high school during our, might've been junior year uh, civics class or whatever it might've been, um, I was actually selected by my fellow classmates to be an attorney uh, for our classes uh, mock trial program. And so I, I actually had a chance to, and we had a little mock trial case and I got to be the attorney and actually got to be in a Supreme Court in Broome County. We were actually in the, uh, the historic courtroom there. And so that was uh, my opening. That would be the moment where I was like, I'd like to be an attorney. Yeah, you're like, I could do this. Yeah. <laughs> Not only I could do it, but I loved it. There was a passion sparked uh, even then. And so that would probably be that moment. Yeah, awesome. Boston, Northeast, Boulder, Colorado, a little different culture. Well, yeah, well, and I also apparently have a thing for bees, Binghamton, uh, uh, yeah. Boston, and Boulder. It, uh, you know, and then I moved to, uh, you know, when I came up here, I was in Brighton, so it just kind of, uh, but yeah, but uh, yeah, so it was a, a very interesting um, change of scenery. Um, you know, having lived in Boston, big city for five years, um, you're kind of in the the grind in the rat race a little bit, you know, taking the, the train every morning, every evening, the commute. Um, and so it, it was kind of a, a, it's first of all, a great law school. Uh, it was a great opportunity, but um, just going to someplace new, didn't know a soul out there. Um, that's kind of been, um, you know, something that it was a great challenge presented. And um, I, I'll never forget, uh, my mom saw me off from the airport, uh, you know, late August. Um, get out to uh, to Boulder, Colorado, get settled into my place. And then um, within the first week or so of school, 9-11 happened. So uh, September 11, 2001, I was sitting in our property class uh, first thing in the morning. Um, and we had you know, witnessed uh, 
you know the tragedy uh, that happened that day. So I was um, you know far away, but my thoughts immediately went back to you know, friends and family back here. So, so talking to the kids who are in undergrad right now, a lot of the people who listen to this are actually undergrads who are thinking about law school or are law students. Um, so your process, talk, take us through a little bit of, you were a good student in undergrad, yeah. um, and then just the nuts and bolts of where you're going to go to law school, how you're going to, what was your thought process like? I think first and foremost, um, it shouldn't be kind of an afterthought, it, it, you know, with, with how expensive all schooling is nowadays. Um, it should be something you're passionate about, whatever it might be in the law, but, you know, have a passion for it because it can be it's a challenge it's an expense and you really need to have that dedication to to see you through the ups and downs um but yeah so being a good student certainly was a great thing um, i was president of the uh, criminal justice honor society uh, at northeastern um, worked closely with a lot of professors who i really admired um, so relationships are a huge part of of like yes good grades are important um, but having those relationships are, are also critical. But yes, yeah, studied for the law school uh, admissions test, did, did well on that, and um, you know, the rest was history. But what, I guess what went through your mind to end up in Boulder? Yeah, I think it was um, just seeing a totally different part of the world, um, having spent five years kind of in the grind of a big city, um, just kind of going out west, you know, just go west, young man, you know, and uh, uh, just experiencing, um, you know, a part of our country that I'd, I'd never been. Um, and it was, um, you know, in all my travels, like when I was a kid going to Northern Ireland, every experience when you get a chance to go away kind of makes you a richer person um, experience-wise, and it opens you to different people, different uh, personalities, different viewpoints on the world. And so, um, all those things were baked into my decision to go out there, and I, I'm uh, a, a more fulfilled person because of that experience. Now, I know you're a pretty good snowboarder now. <laughs> Is that where you picked it up? Uh, no, I, I'd actually been snowboarding. Uh, you know, even uh, you know, as a Binghamton kid at uh, Greek Peak, if you're if you've uh, been down that way. But uh, yeah, so I, um, you know, and the funny thing about snowboarding, I actually hadn't had a lesson as a kid. I just went out and bought one saying this was it. And so, so sight unseen, I just said, it was a, a difficult first couple runs uh, at Greek Peak. But but yeah, so uh, I, I'd been snowboarding for years before that, but uh, it's certainly going out to uh, Colorado, uh, that was an amazing time. Uh, it was a very nice way uh, with all the stresses that you have in school. Um, it was a wonderful way to, uh, to just get out and enjoy nature and, and just uh, decompress a little bit. I know that we ask this question to everyone we interview that's gone to law school. What advice would you give any students who are currently in law school? Advice for kids currently in law school. I think obviously work hard, study hard, um, but I think the relationship building is, is something that I, I think is, it's a soft skill that you're not going to find in any book. Um, but, you know, as Bob knows, when you go into the world, whether it be as a, a district attorney or in private practice, relationships, those soft skills of, of interacting with, with judges, court staff, clients, um, these are skills that, that aren't really taught uh, in a law school curriculum. And um, so take even talked about. No, and, no one tells you. Right. It, it is never mentioned. They will forward and backward tell you about these cases. Yeah. And over half of your successes, who's your boss? Who's your mentors? What do they say when you screw up? What do they say when you do a good job? And who do you know in the world? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and, and not only all of that, in addition to that, when you're in the criminal practice, you know, which, you know, I ran a solo practice myself, but when you're actually sitting across from, from someone whose life is in your hands, they've entrusted um, a very critical moment in their lives to you as, as the lawyer and counselor um, explaining their options, explaining um, this very critical moment in their life. That's not something you've, you know, so if a law school has a, um, a like a clinical program where you actually get to uh, represent people and help yeah. people through their problems, um, that's really a, a critical experience. So talking to a, a young law student, I would say take advantage of that. Um, because uh, you can only find so much in books. Great answer. answer. <laughs>
one of the, you want to talk about law school though, and they get so far into the details, the minutia of these legal issues. Uh, the simple something our, our lawyers here do, who I'm proud of, just let the let your clients talk. You you weren't there. You don't know and. So many of the lawyers are so rushed. They have so many cases. They're taking a bazillion assignments. And when they call, when your client calls on Saturday afternoon, when you want to be doing something else, are you going to sit there and take the phone call? Yeah. And are you going to sit there for five minutes or 10 minutes or half an hour or as long as it takes? Yeah. And there's an art to that. Yeah. And, uh, it, you know, we have two eyes and two ears and only one mouth for a reason. Right. And, and, and there's value uh, and it's a critical skill to sit back and sometimes zip it yeah. and, and see and listen. And that's a, a, a skill that is just um, uh, we need a lot more of, I think. I agree. So law school done. Did it. Yeah. Now what? <laughs> but, you know, and the other thing about law school, um, I was also very fortunate at the University of Colorado to mm -hmm. attend many football games. Okay. And uh, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention we're now uh, we have Deion Sanders as our head coach. Uh, we are now uh, we've made the move back uh, to the Big 12 conference. So um, I'm expecting uh, some great things ahead. But uh, that was another thing uh, about selecting a school is. Um, um, you know, to go back to, to an earlier point is I was far away from my home base back here in New York. Um, so that was a challenge. Um, so kids should potentially, uh, or kids, you know, uh, people aspiring to law school, um, you know, should consider that as well as part of their um, thought process where, you know, I, I came back here and um, had to, you know, kick down some more doors that maybe relationships that I didn't quite have back here that that a local uh, law student might have had if they had went to uh, University of Buffalo or Syracuse. Um, I was a kind of an outsider. Uh, and so I've been very fortunate to uh, to get the opportunities and, and uh, lay a path here, um, despite maybe not having quite had those relationships. So let's talk about your career then. So. After law school, where did you go? Yeah, after law school, um, I, I'd passed the bar exam and um, uh, applied to several different places uh, and uh, uh, applied to the Monroe County District Attorney's Office and uh, got a call from our, I believe it was our second assistant district attorney. Um, and uh, I had a chance to, to come up for an interview, met with him, um, you know, and speaking about how it's not all you know, resume and, and GPA. He had a picture of a dachshund, uh, you know, those little hot dogs. Uh, <laughs> so he was a, a dachshund lover. Mm -hmm. And uh, I myself uh, grew up and, and had many uh, hot dogs, little uh, dachshunds, uh, you know, RIP Wally, RIP Chloe. Those were my uh, beautiful little dachshunds. But, um, but uh, you know, so I spent an hour just talking about our love of, uh, of those little dogs. And again, it was so much of a you know, a lot, everybody has experience and credentials, um, but it's that sort of personality factor that I think is the X factor that's hard right. to quantify, and unless you're sitting across from someone. And so we hit it off, had a wonderful interview. Um, I got called back for a panel interview. As Bob knows, it was you know, all, the, uh, all the top brass at the office sitting around a conference table, um, just peppering you with questions on how you would handle certain circumstances and situations. and. Um, I was very fortunate to get the job offer, and um, on my first day uh, at the DA's office was July 5th, 2005. I remember it well, um, driving up you know, from Binghamton on uh, July 4th with all my possessions. And uh, Way to get there early. <laughs> oh, shit. shit. Okay. I was so distracted by your... Uh, by, by my dulcet on. tones. Yeah, your lack of planning really upset me. <laughs> Well, gosh, yeah, I, I, so, uh, <laughs> in so the excitement, the but, yeah, but, but uh, yeah, so the story was, uh, you know, I believe I was, uh, my first day was on July 5th, 2005, I remember it well, and, and came up, uh, you know, packed up everything. Hmm, weird, okay. What was that? I don't know. I don't think I hit anything. No, I think we're okay. But yeah, so um, yeah, came up July 5th of 2005, started. 
I'm always available available for a part two if it uh, uh, you know uh, you know de demand might uh, <laughs> backed by popular demand. <laughs> This is going to be the best one. <laughs> well, at least we got some good swearing in. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know it's good. It's mother <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, but uh, hey, you roll with the punches, right? You know. All right. Okay. So. So you come. You become a DA. You roll. You roll up. Yeah. Five minutes before your first day. <laughs> what department are you in? So uh, first day, um, uh, rookie DAs, uh, at least during my time, were assigned to the local courts bureau. And uh, I believe my first town court rotation, DAs get assigned to a few different town courts. And so mine were uh, Chai Lai, Wheatland, Honeyoy Falls, and Pittsburgh. And what's that like? Like, what's a that's, case? That's load? the easy assignment. Uh, sorry, no disrespect. They got, let me got in. very hard assignments afterwards, but that—that's <laughs> pretty, pretty good living there it, to start out with. They, they eased me into it. Yeah, well, they knew he was borderline. Yeah. Oh. yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, and we started off talking about Matt Rich. Um, Matt Rich um, had been there uh, for maybe about a year before me, and so he was kind of one of our. You know, elder statesman of the local courts bureau when I came in, and so uh, my first ever court appearance would have been with Matt Rich as my, you know, kind of, um, you know, onlooker, making sure I didn't screw anything up too bad. And so he actually was with me for my first calendar out in uh, Pittsford Town Court, um, and so that was kind of a fun experience. But you know, when we go back and talk about, you know, just people being there for each other and colleagues, um, Matt. That's one example of many of yeah. Matt uh, being there for me. So, what do you think are some important lessons that you've learned at your time there? Oh goodness, I mean there are so many lessons that I learned during my time as a as a prosecutor. I think um, one. We should continue. I mean, I know you started off in local court, but yeah. but Joe's professional career at the DA's office is really special victims unit. Um, representing people, or not representing people, but prosecuting people who hurt women and children, yeah. for the most part. Okay. Yeah, so so I, I actually was kind of unique in that um, I went right from the um, city court bureau. Um, you, we go from local courts, you know, we're in the towns, to the city courts, and then I went directly from city court bureau to um, the Domestic Violence and Child Abuse Bureau, the Special Victims Bureau. And so that was a big jump, um, handling incredibly serious cases, young children and, and women who've s suffered through unspeakable physical and sexual violence. Um, homicides would be assigned to that bureau. So handled just some of the most significant um, heartbreaking cases you could imagine. But, um, you know, it was just uh, a very stressful time. Um, I think, um, you know, here you are, uh, being the voice um, fighting for justice for these women and, and children who've really gone through um, something unspeakable, but so rewarding. Um, just knowing that you're the one out there fighting for them and um, obtaining justice for them, it, it was just um, a blessing. Um, I'm very thankful for that time um, and thankful for, for all the people I was able to obtain justice for. And how long were you there for? So um, I was in that bureau for many years. Um, I was at the DA's office in total, um, going on about seven to eight years, I would say. Um, that bureau in particular um, had the chance to really make lifelong friends, including Bob. Um, we just had uh, amazing colleagues that were so supportive. That bureau in particular, because um, you're dealing with just so um, a case type that is so stressful um, and the stakes are so high. Um, and so we really had built a, a very tight-knit um, uh, you know, colleague family there. Um, but after that bureau, though, um, I went up to the appeal, Appeals Bureau at the DA's office, um, where I had a chance to essentially you know, assist other prosecutors with any legal questions, um, defend cases and verdicts on appeal. Um, I had the chance to argue at our appellate division uh, here uh, at the fourth department hundreds of times. Um, and even had a chance to argue at the Court of Appeals, uh, New York State's highest appellate court. Um, and so uh, I, I've had, um, whether it be a, from a, a Wheatland Town Court all the way up to the, the halls of uh, 
the Court of Appeals in Albany. I've I've seen it all, and um, and argued everywhere in between. So, are there any differences between the the courts? Yeah, and I think my experience is unique um, in that I've been both a trial attorney and an appellate attorney. Um, and so um, on the trial side, you're certainly doing everything you can to prepare and, and uh, you know, uh, be the uh, conductor of a, of a trial. Um, it's a, a little bit, um, I don't want to say theatrical, but you're, you're, you're presenting your, your case through, through witnesses. You're really building a case. Uh, you're the conductor. Um, whereas on the appeal, um, the trial is over. The record has been established. Um, and so that's when you have to put um, kind of the legal thinking cap on. It's more paper. It's documents. more paper-based yeah. and um, really just knowledge of the law and principles and different trends in case law. So um, there are very different skills, and I've really been blessed to have uh, both of the. I think each skill has informed the other. I felt after my time as an appellate attorney, I was a better trial attorney and vice versa. So, so what I'm hearing is you can do it all. I'd like to, I, 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 I've been very blessed in my experiences to uh, to really be able to handle anything um, that, that can come my way. So for people who don't know, an appeal, what's this explain the difference between what a trial lawyer is and what an appellate lawyer is really simply? Yeah, so real simply, the, the trial attorney is, is building their case, um, uh, presenting their case through witnesses and evidence. Uh, and hoping to convince a judge or a jury um, of their position. So whether it's a criminal case or a civil case, uh, meeting their burden of proof through that uh, witness or, or evidence. Uh, on appeal, the appeal attorney is looking at the record that was developed in that trial to see if everything happened in accordance with the law. Um, and so it's a very kind of legal-based, um, you know, you need a, a real deep understanding of, of case law and statutes and the Constitution. Um, and you're just looking to make sure things were done right. Um, and if they weren't, you need to advocate for your client. So, um, and it's also, it's not in front of a jury. Uh, it'll be a panel of judges on appeal. Um, so that's a different um, thing than a trial uh, attorney would see. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of differences, but uh, each uh, has been a, a really uh, rewarding experience for me professionally. Yeah. Another way to think of it kind of is the jury really determines the facts. They hear from the witnesses. They decide what happened that day. Right. On appeal, the judges make sure that all the laws were followed exactly. as the case was brought, as the trial was conducted, and they really review the other judges' work. Exactly. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. And um, yeah, each is a very unique experience. Um, you know, the, the uh, the appeal, um, you know, jury trials can be emotional. You know, uh, um, you know, you're you're making closing arguments. You're making, you know, very. Um, again, I, I hate to use the word theatrical, but you're certainly on stage a bit there. Uh, appeals are more. Um, it's a little a cooler environment to put it. You know that uh, it's it's questions from judges. It's not appealing to sympathies uh, of a juror, perhaps. So it's a very different. Uh, more academic uh, sort of experience. So when you would get an appeal, what was your process as an appellate lawyer? I, I think there's a lot of different ways to do any legal job, but how did you do it? Yeah, well, I think the first thing is you roll up your sleeves and you just start reading uh, the transcript of, of the proceedings. Um, there's no better way than, than just diving right in and taking a, a first look um, before I've really heard from anyone, I'd like to kind of get my own eyes on a, a transcript and um, see what I can see. Um, and that's usually my first thing. I, I, I don't want to be um, um, kind of, um, you know, shaded one way or the other. I'd like to have that sort of clean eye looking at the record, seeing um, if anything jumps out at me. You know, and then start getting into the, uh, the, the trial file. Uh, reviewing what motions were made or weren't made or could have been made, um, uh, you know, most importantly, speaking with either a client or a fellow uh, attorney who handled the matter, um, you know, that's another important thing. So a lot of that happens. You know, it's a lengthy process. Appeals are very, um, you know, heavy uh, on the reading, but also um, the the case res the legal research is extensive. Um, and then you're, you have to write. You have to be a good writer as well. Um, so not only do you have to synthesize this uh, 
body of thousands upon thousands of pages of, of testimony and, and exhibits, um, you have to, to, to really put pen to paper and write the argument. Um, uh, and, um, and, and, and that's a skill in and of itself, being able to synthesize all this massive material uh, and, and um, write well, you know, advance your argument uh, as clearly as you can. And so I think appellate judges appreciate um, you know, good writing when they see it. And I certainly hope to, to think that I've provided them with some, some good written arguments over my years of experience. But uh, writing well is, is a critical skill, um, I think, for all attorneys, not just appeal attorneys. And that would be something I would also advise uh, young law students or anybody um, is the importance of, of writing clearly uh, and um, uh, very succinctly. So. And you said that you worked in private practice as well. What did you do there? Yeah, in private practice, I handled a, a lot of different types of cases, um, certainly handled a, a large number of criminal matters, again, both trial and appellate. Um, had some family court experience, um, had some experience representing people um, against various administrative agencies uh, you know, in our government. So I, I had a, a, a real blessing of, of representing people across a wide variety of um, uh, problems that they needed solved. And so that, that was, uh, I did that for several years. And that was a amazing experience. Um, first and foremost, what it takes to run a small business in, in our state um, and just the appreciation I have for people um, just uh, making payroll and you know, the business side of law and also the, the actual pro, uh, professional side of law representing people. You know, so it, it uh, gave me such an appreciation um, you know, for when um, you know, attorneys are out there, solo practice, it's, um, it's a great honor to have been part of that class uh, of, of people. And Joe had a unique thing. He was kind of the lawyer for the lawyers, for a bunch of, for myself included, and some of the, the top lawyers that I know were using Joe. There are not many people that myself or James Nobles or whoever, uh, Matt Rich, there's not many people that we can call to get answers. And I know you were helping us all the time. Yeah, that, that was uh, one of the great privileges um, with my experience. Uh, and friendships was to be able to be counted on by fellow attorneys to help them um, with anything they had on their mind or a, maybe a, a tricky case or a legal issue. Um, that was a great honor to be uh, one of the first calls um, to help uh, my fellow attorneys walk through it and talk through an issue. And I, not to speak for you, but that's your job now. That kind of transitioned, that role I think transitioned into another role with Judge Taylor. Yes. Justice Taylor. Absolutely. In 2016, I, I closed my law practice um, when I was presented with uh, just an amazing opportunity to become the, the principal court attorney uh, or law clerk to uh, Supreme Court Justice Bill Taylor, um, who, who was assigned uh, to the Supreme Court's civil uh, part of court. Um, and that's a unique experience as well because I didn't have a, a, a huge uh, knowledge base in, in the civil world. Um, but uh, for the past seven years, I've had the chance and privilege to, to be his court attorney. Um, and uh, now I, I'm pretty well immersed in the, uh, the field of uh, civil litigation and complex civil cases. So. so for people who don't know, what does what is a law clerk? Like, what are your roles? So uh, it, it's a critical role um, to serve a judge. Um, if I do say so myself. It's actually more important than the judge. No, <laughs> no <laughs> never more important than the judge. But um, it, it's it's a great honor and privilege to serve as a court attorney to uh, to a judge. Um, but what um, what my role is is to as a case comes into the court. Um, we're assigned and I uh, review all of the legal arguments that the parties make. Um, I review um, uh, all of the uh, facts as part of a motion, all, anything um, that the parties want to bring to the court's attention, uh, um, I review very closely. It's very similar to a lot of my appellate experience where I'm reviewing large records um, and then conducting legal research um, and letting the judge know, um, you know here are the uh, differing arguments. Um, this is what the law says or doesn't say, uh, and then preparing uh, draft opinions for the judge, um, and um, you know assisting the judge in in, um, 
in making correct legal decisions and resolving people's disputes. I think it's hard for people to realize, especially like a New York State Supreme Court justice, they can hear a divorce, they can hear a murder, they can hear a products liability case or a medical malpractice or any legal issue that you've ever thought about can go to a Supreme Court justice. And it's hard to even fathom the number of questions that a Supreme Court judge might have in a given year or even a given day. So they, no one knows everything. That's the secret. Yes. No, the, the secret of a good judge and law clerk is, can I get the right answer quickly? Yeah, and I think that's a, a great point because you, as a Supreme Court justice, you could hear so many different types of, of issues that could come before you. We've had um, uh, cases involving um, uh, prisoners at, at correctional correctional facilities um, that um, you know, don't want to eat anymore. And so the facility may apply for a, a forced feeding order. Um, people that, that don't want medical treatment, um, that could be something that could come before the court or someone challenging a, a zoning law or a town ordinance. Um, you know, it, there's a wide world of cases um, that people might not think of. They don't make the newspaper. It's not a criminal case that's, uh, um, you know, making the, the headlines. But um, a simple car crash or someone slips on, uh, you know, uh, ice on a pavement. Uh, the, the Supreme Court can hear so many different things. And I think to your point, Bob, is um, it's the ability to, to always remain curious um, and um, and research and, and just roll up your sleeves and, and find an answer. So you think about there's cases brought all over the state of New York for hundreds of years and all those other cases matter and what happened here today has probably something kind of like that has happened somewhere else and it's been addressed. So when you talk about legal research, uh, you're able to go find that decision where another judge has dealt with this issue before and a that analysis here and the idea being people get treated the same throughout the state over the course of time yeah that's a great way to put it and it's one of the most to me exciting pieces of my job I I love the writing and I, I love um, uh, talking through legal issues with my judge but that um, that first moment where I get to start the legal research I find it to be um, almost like a, um, a treasure hunt where I am looking, um, of course, I'm reviewing the cases that the attorneys have provided, mm -hmm. um, but I, I'm really, um, you know, expanding anywhere I can find. Uh, you know, if the attorneys don't have the perfect case, is there something that maybe they miss that's out there? Um, to me, that sort of search is. Uh, it's very exciting and I love like investigating. It's very much like investigating through history, you know, because I see you see judges names, you see um, just as Bob said, it's just um, over the course of, of you know, 100 plus years of, of cases and disputes that have come before you, um, that sort of investigation, that sort of uh, history detective work. Um, it's a really exhilarating thing. And then when you find the case that that's really perfect for your situation, um, that is just uh, very, it's very, it's extremely rewarding. And, and it's great to be able to, um, to have assisted the judge in, 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 in their duties um, in resolving a case. So it's uh, very rewarding. Are you a Westlaw guy? I'm a Westlaw guy. Yeah. What, what do you think about AI? Uh, so I, um, you know, uh, that's a great question. Um, you know, a, a, as a judge candidate, I don't know if any AI disputes may ever come before me. So, but but what I will say is this: um, uh, an attorney has a responsibility to take ownership of any cases or um, writing that they put before a court, um, and so that's something I take very seriously. Um, is you, you want your citations to be spot on, 100% accurate. You want to be uh, truthful um, before the court and how you're carrying yourself and the arguments you make. And so uh, if we talk about AI, uh, you know, drafting a brief uh, or an argument for someone, um, that wouldn't be something I personally would feel comfortable. Uh, as an officer of the court, I want to know the work that I've put in and what I'm uh, advocating to the or court. Or read it before you submit it. Sure. Yeah, very, very simple. You uh, can't blame the robot. <laughs> no, you can't blame the robot. And it probably wouldn't be a good defense uh, before the attorney grievance committee either. Yeah. You know? So it's one of those things that, um, you know, uh, we as attorneys have a great obligation um, to um, 
to do the work um, and take ownership of our work product. So, what um, or was there a moment that you decided that you wanted to run yourself? So there's a collection of moments you know, over the course of my life, um, uh, but. Again, I've, I've had a front row seat as court attorney to Judge Taylor. Um, he's been uh, an incredible role model of, um, uh, of, of being a, a fair judge, uh, treating everyone with respect, um, and, um, and working hard uh, to get it right. Um, and so that's been an inspiration uh, for me. Um, I'd also say that during my time with Judge Taylor, um, I've had the privilege to serve as an arbitrator uh, in small claims in Rochester City Court. Um, so I've had a chance to preside over hundreds of small claims matters, um, helping resolve people's disputes. Um, you know, so I, I, I sit as an arbitrator, I review the facts, hear the testimony. Uh, so I'm, I'm doing um, a lot of very uh, interesting work and it's rewarding to help people, um, you know, to bring my skills to help resolving uh, the disputes before me. So I've had a lot of different examples that have led uh, themselves to this moment uh, and this opportunity uh, and why I think I'll be a, a great addition to the Supreme Court bench. What do you think makes a good judge? I think there's a lot of factors. Um, I think, you know, being intelligent, being smart, um, and for those areas like Bob alluded to that you know, there's so many things, it's hard to know everything, um, but having that curiosity factor of um, being willing to find out what you don't know, um, having that sort of humbleness to, um, to, to just open the books or you know, get on the Westlaw. So those are, the, the legal tools are, are a huge part, um, but also uh, being fair, um, not prejudging, um, you know, really uh, keeping an open mind, listening to the party's argument, being uh, empathetic, um, um, to the parties before you. Um, I, I think uh, there are some soft skills that we talked about that not everything is in, in a book. Um, and I think that sort of, um, you know, personal touch is, is a critical piece. And, and I've been very fortunate to have um, a, a front row seat to, to what, what it means when you balance a lot of those factors together. So um, just being a good person, treating people fairly, keeping an open mind and working hard I think those are some of the biggest skills that make a, a good judge. You have seen so many lawyers come before your court, the, the court that you're part of with Justice Taylor. Uh, what, what advice would you give to young lawyers who are presenting civil cases in the Supreme Court? I think, um, you know, and we're fortunate to just have so many amazing attorneys that appear in front of us. Um, and I, I think the biggest things are um, being prepared, uh, communicating, communicating to the court if there are any issues. Um, I think those are, are some huge factors. Um, again, preparation, um, good writing, good advocacy, those are all wonderful attorney skills anyway. Um, but uh, letting us know if, if for some reason, um, um, you know, discovery can't uh, be com concluded during a, a scheduling order, just you know, letting us know uh, if there's any issues. Um, just communicating with the court, you know, not blowing us off. Um, just, uh, just basic professionalism is, is always uh, goes a long way. You know, common courtesy. You know, Bob, I think one of the things that um, that that you, all of us attorneys talk about, if if we're you know out uh, socially, uh, war stories are kind of a popular uh, thing amongst attorneys. Oh man, it's a bad habit. <laughs> but uh, the people love them. It makes us crazy. But uh, yeah, yeah. So I knew, we talked before we queued it up, yeah. but I, I saw the purple tie, yeah. the gray suit and the purple tie, and I actually kind of knew. I, but uh, yeah, I, I think I know. You haven't told the story, so hit us with the purple tie story. Yeah. So uh, back when I was a, a prosecutor in the the Special Victims Bureau, um, there was a, a case um, I'd been assigned. Um, extremely challenging case, you know, not a ton of evidence. This is not some sort of, as a young prosecutor, it's not some sort of CSI uh, uh, evidence all over the place. There's no fingerprints. It was a very old case, um, but it was a young girl. Um, she'd been raped by her dad um, and uh, over the course of many years. Um, and so I had the case, um, had a chance to meet with this uh, young child uh, at the Bavona Child Advocacy Center. Uh, developed a, a rapport with her 
um, talked about this you know, horrible time in her life, um, and um, uh, we indicted uh, her dad. Uh, and as we were preparing for trial, um, she had told me one of her favorite colors was purple. Um, and so I went out and bought a purple tie and uh, told her you know, when she was going in to testify you know, against her dad, you know, this horrible moment reliving this unspeakable moment in her life, um, that I would wear this tie and you know, she could look to it and find some sort of comfort uh, going through this horrible traumatic experience and reliving it. Yeah. And so, um, so that kind of began my, uh, my love of purple ties and um, you know, it was something that, that meant a lot to me to help her, you know, and we did a, a, obtain justice in that case. Um, and, but uh, it didn't end there, um, getting the, the guilty verdict. Um, years later, and this is a sad part of the story, but um, her family had turned their back on her, so she had to go into the foster care system. And so years later, um, you know, the case was, was over and done with, but I get a call uh, from Child Protective Services that she was about to age out of the foster care system, uh, and she had selected me um, to essentially be a mentor um, as she was about to you know, leave the foster care system and, and become a young adult. And so um, it was incredibly uh, touching uh, you know, that someone would uh, have thought of me, um, you know, years later like that. And so you impacted them. Yeah. As, as, as much as she impacted me, um, it was nice to know that, that I had the opportunity to, to not only get justice for her, but, uh, years later, um, when I got that call, um, I went on to, to help her, um, study, uh, uh, for her driver's license. You know, so we, 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 we sat down and went through the, the questions and, you know, what's a stop sign look like and, and just the, the basics of, uh, of helping provide um, some you know, kind of young adult guidance that, that she never really had the, the opportunity to have given what happened to her. And so uh, she went on to get her driver's license. Uh, you know, I had a chance to do other basic things uh, of life, of you know, grocery shopping, what, it, what do you do? You know, yeah. and all these little things that she uh, didn't have the, the benefit of given her um, experiences. Um, I was blessed to, to, to serve that role uh, for her as, as she um, you know, became a young adult. So Wow, I love that story. And it kind of goes with what you were saying earlier where, you know, the connection that you make, they're not just with attorneys and they're not just, you know, they don't just end once you leave the courtroom. Yeah, the, the, the power um, that attorneys have to um, provide a meaningful impact uh, in someone's life um, and, and you'd asked me earlier about you know, takeaways from, from those experiences, um, and, and that was one of them. It's just um, the, the, the power we have to, to, to really help someone. Um, and, and so that was, uh, so every now and then out on the campaign trail, you might see me wearing a purple tie, and um, that became um, you know, something that, that I hold near, very uh, near and dear to my heart is, uh, you know, it's, it was a challenging time period, but extremely rewarding. It's a case I'll remember uh, for the rest of my life. It's hard to explain to people who aren't attorneys uh, the burden sometimes. And then you say, sometimes you don't want it. I mean, if you're going to talk frankly, it's you carry it with you on Saturday, on Sunday, when you're playing golf or when you're with your kids or whatever it is. Uh, that's with all of us all the time. Yeah, yeah, the, uh, you know, the, and and that's why some of our war stories we kind of sanitize, you know, just like I did with with this one. You know, we, we don't um, want to burden others mm. with what what we see, um, you know. But um, but it's something that that an attorney and counselor carries with them, um, as Bob said. Um, you know, th uh, some sleepless nights. Uh, but being there and, and helping people is, is so critical and helps you get through those tough times. Right. Yeah, and you think, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm going to cry just talking to Joe Jesus. Oh. <laughs> uh, believe me, it's, um, we go through emotional things, you know, as professionals, but we're also people, mm -hmm. you know, but as professionals, uh, we, we help people through and we do the best we can. Yeah, and then you think to yourself, you hear a story like that or those moments and you're like, you know, if I didn't do this, what would I do? You know, that's, yeah, you know, and that's why it's a, as much a calling 
for for folks like us that um, the ability to you know whether we're attorneys or judges um, just helping people through these challenging times and, and doing it our best and, and getting it right so yeah I mean it's it's the ultimate privilege right yeah to, to do work that affects the outcome of people's lives uh, yeah you know and and the trust that people place in you you know when I was a young DA um, the trust that the community placed in me um, the trust when you're a private practitioner and someone hires you um, or the trust um, that I've been bestowed uh, on accepting the nomination to run for this uh, judicial office and you know, God willing um, you know if I were to win the election the trust that the voters have placed in me um, to do a good job and do it right and do it fairly um, it's been a life of professional experiences and trust that's placed in you that you do the best you can. And so it's an incredible honor. And I look at this as one additional step of people placing trust in me that I hope to earn every day. I think it's great to see that you are compassionate also, because if you think of it from an outside view, people don't necessarily always end up in court, right? But they have a perceived notion of who and what an attorney is supposed to act like and care about and I think it's nice to, to see both of you kind of in like a humanized form of in being compassionate for these cases that you've fought for well and, and it goes back to, to Bob's point on AI you know the, the human element matters mm -hmm. um, and you know caring for our, our fellow uh, human um, you know yes we, we have the professional side but um, you know, we, we need to to recognize um, empathy, uh, you know, in, in all our dealings with people, and so, yeah, it's 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 just an honor and, and so rewarding. Just as Bob, you know, it, it, we're out there um, through challenging circumstances, but um, that's a burden that, that we're happy to take on. Yeah, it's it, it's the good and the bad, and the, yeah. the reason it's good is because it can be bad, and the reason it's bad is because it can be good. It's when you're. Every single case that goes in, in front of any court, but really a Supreme Court, you're talking about someone's freedom yeah. or large sums of money, uh, life, you know, sometimes life changing amounts of money about how a Fortune 500 company. Uh, I know the local Harley Davidson case was a case that Justice Taylor heard here. Yeah. I think it was a, a verdict of many millions of dollars in a product's liability for a huge company. Yeah. These things that happen in court they're really important and you better get the right person in there yeah, or, or it, somebody somebody who has the ability to do a good job doesn't mean you always agree with the judges um, it means have someone who's capable yeah it, it, these are profound disputes that can come before the court and uh, you know you really want the right people uh, in the right places uh, and I hope to, to be that um, and I hope the voters uh, you know, give uh, and trust me with that responsibility. I, I think my life experience is leading to this moment, but um, but you're absolutely right, Bob. You, you really want to, uh, you don't need to agree with the decisions, but you certainly hope that, that you've uh, put someone on the bench that um, even though you might not agree, that you know they've they've really given it their all um, and, and heard you out fairly and, and made a determination, so. So, it's, all right, tell us another story. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, I mean, you know, we, we need a lot more time, maybe a part two at some point. Yeah. But uh, another story um, that I would, I, I've, I've had a few, um, you know, one would be um, uh, there, there was a young lady, um, a family had come over from Afghanistan. Um, and uh, this, uh, this one young um, girl, she was going on to be a, a student um, at a, a, a college, local college. And um, her brother uh, stabbed her repeatedly, nearly killing her. Um, you know, thank God she survived. Um, but the reason he, he gave uh, for this you know, brutal attack was um, that uh, she was becoming too Americanized uh, and that um, you know, she was uh, a bad Muslim girl. He didn't approve of how she would dress and you know that she was uh, advancing herself through her college studies and you know that was um, an incredibly traumatic case um, but again um, you know I, I had the privilege and honor to, to fight for her and, and secure justice for her and and as Bob knows um, 
you know, not only did we fight for, for children and women, but we also had a lot of familial violence, you know, so inter-family um, you know, assaults and murders, you know, and, and that was just one of many examples of uh, the challenges and the dynamics you face when, um, when family members um, do bad things to, to their family. Yeah. Um, and so that's a very challenging dynamic that, that, that Bob and myself uh, experienced in the Bureau. And um, again, just part of those challenging cases of um, you bring all your skills to bear uh, and you do what you think is right and what's best and what's just. You might not have an answer for this question, but how do you deal with the stressors of these cases? I, I think having um, good family, good friends, um, that helps you get through a lot of it. Um, having outside work pursuits is critical, I think, as well. You know, whatever it might be, you know, a, a long walk can, can cure a lot of uh, stresses in one's life. Um, golf, I love to golf. Um, but, you know, again, my, my, uh, my wife, Helen, uh, has, has been uh, just an incredible, um, just can't thank her enough for, for just every day she's there um, providing the, just the uh, most incredible you know, support uh, imaginable. Um, so again, friends, family, uh, out, outside work pursuits, um, you know, all those things are, are um, you know, part of, of trying to relieve some of the pressures and stresses that we face. It's interesting just to think back to those times and, and I know you're not doing it anymore. I'm not doing it anymore. Um, <laughs> But it was a good team. It was yeah. it was teamwork. I think we der derived a lot of strength from each other, um, helping each other out. And you talk about teams and, and leadership and what teams look like and what they feel like. And I know all of us that were there at that time uh, probably think back on that a lot. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's certain. Uh, it's almost like a like a military family. You know, you're in the trenches together. You know, you're you're dealing with some of the most stressful things imaginable. Um, but you're there for each other, uh, helping each other out, um, picking each other up when, when the other's down. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, you know, uh, you know, giving kudos when, uh, during the good times as well, um, you know, because there's ups and downs uh, through everything in life. But uh, being part of that team, um, you know, really, um, it was a very life-forming um, uh, life experience, you know, just um, professionally, personally, you know, it, it um, you know, it's something I'll never forget throughout uh, the rest of my days. Closing remark. I don't know. It's just fun to think back about it. it was a long time ago for both of us, and it's. Uh... Well, you know, Bob, it's it's it, it's fun to think back on. You know, you know, like a, it can be emotional. You know, a roller coaster going through the. You know, back through a. You know, the the, the memory uh, road. You know, we're we're going back through some some tough times, some great times. Um, but you know what I love though is is um, all of those experiences have led us to to where we are today and where we're hoping to go uh, forward to. You know, in my case, uh, you know, hoping that the voters uh, um, you know entrust me uh, in November um, with this important office. Um, but um, you know, yeah, I, I think every experience before leads you to what's next, um, and so I, I, I draw a lot of uh, strength and, and and comfort from from those times. So, talk a, so in, in some ways, Joe, your path is kind of like my path, and it's where we were really heavy criminal, and then you become a higher level civil litigator. Um, and that's kind of a rare path. We're, we're working with folks from all over the United States now on some of our civil cases, and that's unique. Um, they look at me like I'm crazy, but uh, <laughs> I don't think it's as unique as it's maybe non-traditional, but it works really well, actually. Yeah, you know, and I think one of the foundational pillars for people like yourself and, and, and myself, um, when you're a trial attorney, like you've lived the life of a trial attorney, you take cases to trial. Mm -hmm. You know, every Monday, you know, when we were at the DA's office, we're, we're going on another trial, you know, so it, it's- And if you're not doing, if I'm not doing a trial, you're doing a trial and I'm gonna go watch the trial. Exactly. And if I'm not doing one and you're not doing one, somebody else is doing one and we're gonna go watch jury selection and then we're gonna talk about it at lunchtime. Yeah, and, and so I think that experience of being, you know, forged through 
experience uh, of, of trying cases and trying a lot of cases. Um, you know, things happen during trial that are unexpected. Um, you, you never know what that might be, but having done enough trials, you just know that expect the unexpected and, and you're used to that trial by fire, so to speak. Um, but um, when it comes to the, the civil side of things, um, like you mentioned, it's that ability to um, be curious. And if you don't know something, find it out or find a colleague who's who's been there and done that before or has had some similar experience or knowledge that can help you. Um, and so for me, um, I've been blessed to have so many uh, law clerks uh, bef uh, prior to my time that have uh, been generous with their time um, with any questions I've had. So I, I've really had um, you know, such amazing experiences where if I didn't know something and couldn't find it, um, luckily I, I would have people around me um, that can help me. So where can we find information about you? Yeah, well, uh, so I have a website, um, joewaldorf.com. Uh, and through that website, you can link to all my other social media. So I, I'm on Facebook and Instagram and uh, uh, Twitter as well. But uh, joewaldorf.com is a great place to, to learn a mo more about me um, and, and my candidacy. Um, but um, yeah, it's a, it's a great honor to, to have been uh, nominated and, and I accepted the nomination for uh, Supreme Court Justice, one of two positions that'll be uh, available on the ballot this November. So uh, it's an incredible honor. That concludes this episode of the King Law Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe and check out our socials at King Law Attorneys. And if you've happened to have been injured or charged with a crime, now you know who to call. King Law, take charge.